Hi, I'm Nick Sharma, a molecular biologist turned cookbook author and food photographer. I've got an English black lab named Paddington, who is my king. It's his second birthday today, and I'm going to do something ridiculous. After this show is done, I'm going to go pick up his birthday cake. You know, people would think I should be baking him a cake, but I don't have the time. Hey y'all, it's Jesse Sparks, and this is The One Recipe, a podcast that talks to chefs and great cooks to get to the heart of one important question. What is their one? The recipe that stays the same, even when everything else is changing. This week, we're talking about soups for the soul with Nick Sharma. Nick is a scientist turned food photographer and the author of the best-selling cookbooks, Season and The Flavor Equation. He's also the author of the blog, A Brown Table, and a newsletter, aptly titled, This is a Cook Letter. Nick teaches curious cooks how to use and maximize flavor while explaining the scientific and cultural intersections that play in his recipes. He can tell you the rest. Oh my God, Nick. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Listen, I'm getting to talk to a legend. I'm having a good day. You have gone from studying molecular genetics to becoming an award-winning recipe developer and cookbook author. Could you be having more fun or a better time? Uh, I will say I'm definitely blessed. Yes, that's (laughs) a great way to phrase it and talk about it. So you've actually also just finished a kitchen remodel that was like a long time in the making. How was that? Yeah, it's been tears in the making because the city that I live in in LA was operating as if COVID was in full, even after the restrictions went down. And so permits mm-hmm. weren't being approved. So it took a year to get permits. And then another like six months, six to eight months to get the whole kitchen plus the side of the house that we're living in remodeled. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a process. And we actually just kicked off the second phase last week. <laughs> Oh my gosh, congratulations. Wait, so what's coming in the second phase? (laughs) So the second phase is my office and a couple of the bedrooms that need to be upgraded. We bought an old home that was built in the 1920s. So it's had a couple of changes made to them, but not really brought into this century in terms of codes and everything. So when we decided to do it, it started out with the kitchen as everything, you know, you start out with one thing and then everything kind of like flows in. (laughs) It's turned out into... A three-year whole house remodel. Is there like one thing that you've done in the kitchen that you've just loved? Um, I will say two things. I made it a smart kitchen because I'm a big believer in having smart devices. I love technology. Sometimes I really don't need 10 things informing me that the oven is done, but it still feels kind of nice knowing that it is done (laughs) or the fridge door is left open. The other thing that I did was, and this was really special to me, I've always wanted my sink and I, you you know, like my sink to kind of have my stamp. And this was the one time and actually the first time and maybe the only time in my life that I get to build my own kitchen. So I worked with a designer who's based in uh, Pasadena named Kirsten Poole, who helped me design a custom uh, soapstone sink. And I wanted to give it like a little bit of an Indian feel because I grew up in India and I kind of wanted to draw in some of these elements from India. And so we had these little, I don't think this is the right word. They're not phenials because I think phenials are the things that you put on your garden, those little, but it's kind of like that. It's like a two-dimensional version of that that's stuck to the wall. And so we have these little um, 
flows that resemble a lot of the ancient architecture from India. Wait, so what were the things that you needed from a sink? I needed space. And I mean, all throughout my life, I've always had stainless steel sinks. One of the things that happens with stainless steel sinks is often they come divided, pre-divided. And if you have no same building the kitchen, then that's what you normally get, which drives me nuts. Another thing is when hot water hits the sink, the metal expands. And so then you hear this pop, Mm. which really aggravates me. Now, stainless steel sinks are really easy to clean. They don't get damaged. They don't chip or anything. Soapstone, on the other hand, is a sensitive material, but it's very um, corrosion resistant, which is why it's used in labs all over the world. And I said, you know what? I'm quite rough in the kitchen in terms of the food that I cook. Like I, you know, will sterilize my sink. So I need something that can withstand the kind of pressure that it's going to handle. And soapstone is perfect because I can take a hot pot, a really hot pot, and stick it directly on the counter or in the sink and not worry about the stone cracking. So also kind of pulling out some of the some of your interests like you've been photographing and documenting the full process of the remodel and uploading those pictures to instagram and instagram stories how did you kind of get into photography in the first place because it's really informed both the cookbook writing that you've done and also just the blogging that you've been doing Yeah, absolutely. So funny enough, my mom comes from the hotel industry. That's what she does still. She's involved in um, with five-star hotels in India in marketing and all that stuff. And my dad used to be an an artist who then eventually became an advertising photographer. Now, funny enough, both those careers were kind of a no-no for me growing up. My parents said, no, we don't want you to do this because it's hard work. You don't have the chops or the, the skills to kind of hustle. And when I so I went into science and so I actually never learned how to use a camera growing up, even though my dad is he's retired now, but a photographer. And everyone who knows that fact will always ask me this question. So did you learn from your dad? And I always have to say, no, the only piece of information I got from him was buy this brand of camera because this is what I've been using for years. I know the reliability. And then after that, it's been you know, a self-taught journey because I started out blogging. I was in science and I just wanted to do something more creative. I wasn't seeing the food that I grew up with written about at all. And I also grew up quite different from most people who grew up in India. I come from a bicultural family where my mom's Roman Catholic. She's from the West Coast, from Goa. So it's heavily meat-oriented. Vinegar is like a big part of the diet. Then you go to the North where my dad's from, and it's a purely vegetarian kind of focused cuisine that he grew up with. I'm kind of like at that intersection where, hey, I don't see this food talked about in America. What's going on? So I started to write about that in a blog. And the nature of a blog is that it is a visual medium. You have to learn how to photograph. And so I started out with a point-and-shoot camera from Nikon, which I think at the time was called the Coolpix series. And then I didn't have any money to kind of invest in DSLRs. Plus, I really wasn't interested in photography. I actually hated it growing up because my dad's (laughs) equipment would take over the house. So it used to actually aggravate me. I guess it's true that the apple doesn't fall far away from the tree. Has there been one recipe that's kind of just stuck with you? Again, another like... Part of India that we don't really see in America is Indo-Chinese food. And one of the recipes that I really love that you see in Indo-Chinese restaurants in India is called Manchow Soup. It's hot and spicy. It's got shredded cabbage. It's rich with umami. And then they serve it with crunchy fried noodles, which is the absolutely the best thing in the world. It's kind of like a crouton to a salad or nuts to a salad 
fried noodles on a soup that's so rich and heavenly, full of that heat, umami, you know, it's heaven. And so that is a dish that whenever I go back to India, one of my aunts who lives in New Zealand, both of us will always get that at the restaurants. And so now I make it at home here. Can you tell me a little bit about where you found inspiration? I really wanted to showcase this part of Indian culture that I didn't see. And so I wanted to put some of those recipes in the cookbook. And what I did was I couldn't find a particular recipe that pinpointed to what the flavors were in the soup. One of the things that they don't do here, and I didn't put this in the cookbook and maybe I should have, was a Ginomoto. It's MSG, right? Mm -hmm. Monosodium glutamate. It's now banned in India. But at the time when when I used to go, a lot of the Indian food had... with Chinese food, they would say, add a pinch of a ginomoto. Then it's also mixed with what's called an enhancer, which is another molecule that activates our sensory buds. Together, they work in concerts. You have the synergistic effect. So that was one of the things that was missing for me in the soup. So then I, when I went to these restaurants in India, some of them were quietly using a ginomoto and not talking about it. And so one of the great ways I think a lot of cookbook authors do this and recipe developers is when you're trying to research a recipe, you go and taste it from 10, at least 10 different sources. And then you kind of put everything together to try and understand what is someone leaving out that's not necessary? What is someone adding that is essential to the recipe? That's how I started to build a recipe for the cookbook. And it was a lot of testing and a lot of trying to understand what they kind of like an equation again in like, you know, what is the plus? What's the minus? What can I live without? Because you also want oh, yeah. the recipe at the end of the day to be simple for people. You don't want to make it a industrious process. And that was kind of my approach towards it. The one thing where I did cheat in the end was fried noodles because I wasn't going to give up fried noodles no matter what. Absolutely I wanted, not. Yeah, like I wanted that crunch in there. So I could ask people to fry them, but a simpler process was the ready-made fried noodles that are available in the grocery store. And so I said, you know what? You can find that, use that. It's quite delicious. It's not the same, but it works. And I want you to kind of experience that in the comfort of your own home and also with the comfort and knowledge that you can go and find these ingredients easily where you live. That's so, so smart and also so hard to dial into. Can you take me through how to make the recipe? Okay, so... When you start with the recipe, you really want a good stock. So you don't have to use the vegetable stock that I create in the recipe. But I would recommend if you don't want to use a Ginomoto, although I insist that you should have any pinch, what you can <laughs> use is a good mushroom-based stock, which I have a recipe for in the cookbook already. And then what you need to do is find just regular green cabbage, carrots, anything with crunch. Sometimes I'll add crunchy radishes, especially the spicy black radishes. And then the heat is built throughout the recipe using black pepper and you know other ingredients. And then soy sauce is a great source for saltiness and savoriness. You just need a little bit of that, fold that in there. And then I serve the dish. And this is something that, again, I don't see a lot of... Um, Indo-Chinese restaurants do. We don't have any Indo-Chinese restaurants as far as I know. But usually what every Indo-Chinese restaurant does in India, you get a bowl of vinegar, usually rice wine vinegar, white vinegar, in which green chilies have been steeped for a while. Fresh green chilies, you let them sit in there. And so the vinegar is sour but hot. And so you get that on the side. And then you also get a bowl of soy sauce. What I did for the book was actually ended up combining both of them because I said, I have two bowls. I don't like washing dishes. Let's just like put everything together. And so you get like the hit from all three, the sour, the savory and the heat. Oh my gosh, I love it. So essentially you're describing this beautifully sour and spicy vegetable soup that is really just pulling on all of these different 
cultural connotations while also reminding us that there's so much science and like specificity and intentionality happening behind the scenes. So do you have any brand recommendations for the types of fried noodles that you like to use or recommend people use if they can't find a specific one or don't want to fry their own? Yeah, absolutely. The one that I use, and this is the one that I love because it's so easily found almost everywhere, is the Lachoy brand of fried noodles. You get them in a little tin, in those little blue tins, and that's all you need. Of course, you can always just go and fry your own. If you have just noodles sitting at home, you know, egg noodles, just go ahead and fry those, you know, in a little bit of oil and use those. You can use vermicelli, but I'm not a big fan of vermicelli in this particular soup. I just feel like the egg noodles kind of give it a better flavor. It sounds like it needs a little bit more body, a little bit more substance in a way that's going to give you that heartier crunch instead of something that's a little bit more crisp. Nick, that soup sounds so delicious. Thank you for sharing it with us. Of course. Thank you for having me on. Nick Sharma is the author of The Flavor Equation, the science of great cooking explained in more than 100 essential recipes. You can find his recipe for Manchow Soup on Instagram at the.one.recipe and at theonerecipe.org. This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Alex Simpson, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Shafford, and Joanne Griffith. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic. <laughs>